turn with me to two places, Isaiah chapter 53 and Hebrews chapter 10, which is our text for the day. Isaiah 53 and Hebrews chapter 10. We're in the book of, uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. If you're visiting with us, uh, we have restarted our Hebrews study. We're in the home stretches of it. Only a few chapters left, but I think there are going to be some powerful uh, passages that we read in the next few weeks and few months, all the way through chapter 13, but we're in the 10th chapter now. Let's look first at Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 10. Isaiah 53, if you have a Bible, please open it. If you don't have one, go to an online Bible, such as BibleGateway.com. Isaiah 53, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many, your sin, my sin, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. So we see that this prophecy, it was a messianic prophecy that Christ would pour out his soul to death for our transgressions. Pick it up where we left off. I want to read verse 10, even though we did verse 10 last week, because it bridges the gap. Verse 10 uh, bridges the gap with verse 11 in, this, in these next verses. Verse 10, and again, we read this last week, by that we will, uh, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had, offering, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of sin, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Isn't that beautiful? We see the prophecy. We see the fulfillment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus was foretold, foreshadowed, foreordained, but he came. You came, Jesus, and you're seated right now at the right hand of God, waiting to bring your church home. But Lord, until that time, we need to be sanctified, purified, changed day by day by day. Lord, I pray that you would speak now through this time, 
remove me once again, as it were, from the equation that each person might hear from Jesus. Lord, may your peace, your power, your presence be upon this time. And may you speak to your people and anyone that doesn't know you yet would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may know the words to the hymn. It goes like this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Indeed, Jesus paid it all. All of it. He covered it all. He paid it all. He did it all because we needed it all. And because the work, because of the work of Christ, we've been sanctified. Or some of your Bibles may say made holy. Some of your translations. And he has set in motion through salvation by grace for us to reflect God in this fallen world because he has completely changed our minds and our hearts. He's engraved in us, engraved in us, just like he wrote on the tablets of the Ten Commandments, he's written in our hearts a new nature in us if you've been saved, if you've been born again. And it's a down payment on what's to come in eternity. Isn't that great to know what you have right now is a down payment on eternity? If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in the Word this morning, Sanctified by His Death and His Life. We needed both. We do need both, His life and His death, His risen life after death. We need all of these things. But I want to look at three overarching truths that are laid out here this morning in our text to give the readers of Hebrews a deeper appreciation of their salvation and their Savior. And we're readers of Hebrews now. But it also gives us a confidence. I think we all need some confidence these days, don't we? But not in ourselves, not in the CDC, not in the president, not in the government. We need some confidence in Jesus. Let's look first at his offering, his offering. This first truth, it says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. But this man, this first truth conveyed here by the writer of Hebrews is something that Christ has done outside of us. What's our only role here? Well, it's to supply the necessary sin for the need of a sacrifice. Our only role is to provide the sin. Now, we've looked at this divine offering numerous times over the past four weeks, from Palm Sunday through Easter through the first ten verses of Hebrews chapter 10. And last week and further back in our study, going all the way back to November and December, we examined the limitations of the Mosaic law and the animal sacrifices in chapter 7, chapters 8, chapters 9 as well. Additionally, you may recall Christ with the title of high priest, a title that's used 
ten times to describe Christ from chapters 2 through chapters 10, a total of 11 times because there's one more time that's going to be mentioned here in the 10th chapter. So this title of high priest, so important. But Christ, as high priest, he represents a change of tribe, a change of headship from Levitical priesthood to the priest that descend from Aaron and of the tribe of Levi. So let's look at this text one more time where it says, the priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. You think about the priest of Aaron, that they would go into the temple daily, dressed, ready to serve. This was, this was the norm for a couple thousand years. But Jesus, he's not only unique among all of mankind, he's unique in his role among Israel, the nation and people of God raised to bring forth the Messiah. All the other priests descended from Aaron. Jesus does not. He does not descend from Aaron of the tribe of Levi. To go back to last week, uh, this is why the word shadow is so fitting. Your shadow and my shadow is an outline of us, but it's not three-dimensional with visible characteristics. The law was a shadow that contained an outline of Christ's multi-dimensional fulfillment. And I want us to stop and pray again because this is a, this is a deep text. And God does not, I don't know if this is really comforting to me. Did you know that God does not apologize for the depth of his word? Did you know that God does not say, you know what, this stuff is too deep for people to understand. There's a lot of churches these days and pastors that are watering down the gospel because they're like, well, no one will understand these things. But I want to stop and pray again because I, I want you, if you're listening online, I want God to speak directly to you. I want you to let it sink down deep in your ears as Jesus said. I want myself to be taught by Jesus this morning. I know we already prayed. We prayed a couple of times. We're going to pray again that God speaks to you personally. You need to know and understand what this offering really is for and the power God wants to release in our life. So let's pray again. Lord, this, these are some deep things. But Lord, I pray that you'd reveal them. Lord, pour out your peace. Pour out your power. Pour out your presence. Lord, open the eyes of those that... Lord, are still not sure, do I want to go in all for Jesus? But Lord, you, you paid it all for us. So Lord, we need to yield it off to you. And I pray, Lord, that you take these simple words, uh, but sometimes in the text, complex. And Lord, you would make the complex simple. And Lord, the simple things would become those things that we receive and walk in. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Sometimes I just feel led to pray again that God said, God will move in our midst, and this is one of those times. The law was a shadow. It contained an outline of Christ's multidimensional fulfillment. 
No one aspect of the law could contain all of Christ's roles. Do you understand that? All the law could never contain everything that Jesus manifests in himself. So just think about it. You had the law. You had the Levite priest. You had the rabbis, because they were also rabbis, that, the priests were also rabbis that taught. They offered sacrifices. Then you had the sacrifices themselves, thousands of lambs and goats and bulls, the shed blood. You had the showbread in the temple, the incense on the altar. You had the lampstand, also known as the menorah. You had the bronze laver and the water there for washing. The Ark of the Covenant, you had the Ark of the Covenant, you had Aaron's budded rod with almond blossoms on it, perpetually blooming. You had the manna that it was in the jar, it never spoiled. And then lastly, you had what? The Ten Commandments. All of these were in the Ark, written by the finger of God in the stone. There was also the monarchy of Israel. So you had the kings, right? The kings of Israel, they sat on thrones in Jerusalem. The two greatest kings being who? David and Solomon. They were of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the scepter uh, per J uh, Jacob's prayer and his prophecy over his sons back in the book of Genesis. But in Jerusalem, the kings, the kings and the high priest were two different men, always from two different tribes, because the priests were always Levites, whereas the kings were of various tribes, mostly. Again, remember Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, but then you have uh, David and Solomon from Judah and others that uh, descend from Judah, and then you have the northern kingdom as well. But, uh, but the time in Jerusalem when the kingdom was one, always the kings and the high priest were two different men. The priests offered sacrifices... And the kings ruled over the people. That was the two different roles. But Jesus came and fulfilled all the former roles in himself. All the former roles that related to him as sovereign Messiah, he was in the law. He was in the ark. He was in the temple. He was the self-sustaining life there in the rod itself. He was the bread of life. All these different things, you see all these things that were in the temple or in the ark, they all represented one man, Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law, but he was also the giver of the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fill it up, to complete it. But he was also the remedy for the broken law that you've broken, that I've broken. Jesus of the tribe of Judah, that Hebrews tells us he was of the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who was the king and priest of Salem, that Abraham came and brought his tithe and gave it to Melchizedek. And that was an ancient what? Salem which would later become Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So Salem, the very place where Abraham came and presented his gift to Melchizedek, who was not a Levite, who was not of the, even the people of Israel, 
but he was both king and priest of the city of Salem, which would later become the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was, like Melchizedek, both king and priest. He's the only perfect king and the only perfect priest the world has ever seen. We've seen a lot of imperfect kings, haven't we, in the, in the history of the world? I, I love history. I watch documentaries. I, I've watched them on Napoleon and Genghis Khan and Stalin and Hitler and Mao Zedong and all these different people and diabolical men. But Jesus, there's been some good kings too, good rulers. But Jesus is the only perfect ruler, the only perfect king. But more than that, Jesus is also the perfect sacrifice for sin and death. No other priest could give themselves. No other king could give themselves. But he offered himself with a sacrifice, as a sacrifice for sin one time, once and for all. Go back to verse 10 of last week, but it was the bridge. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And so it transitions now to saying, let's compare Jesus to any other priest. That's what verse 11 is doing. And every priest, now it's speaking lowercase priest, and he's saying, so Jesus covered everything once and for all. Let's compare that to what other priests have done. Well, they stand ministering daily, offering repeatedly, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered once sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There's a lot here. All the priests that have ever lived and all the sacrifices that have ever been laid on the altar could never, never, never even satisfy one sin, much less trillions of sins. It was always pointing to the need for Christ. Therefore, if Jesus does not come, and he's not perfect, and he's not sinless, which of course he is, we're all condemned. If he does not come and he's not sinless, we have an eternal problem, and it'll be separation and judgment. By the way, um, in the tabernacle, there were no chairs. The picture was that the priest had to stand continually every day, every day, keep bringing the sacrifices, that the work was never completed. That's why when Jesus said, it is finished, and the veil was tore, and then 40 days later when he ascends and sits down, he sits down in the tabernacle or the temple of the heavens, and now the priestly work is done. He sits down. There was no chairs in the tabernacle for them to sit. Jesus was saying, I have completed the work. It's done. And that's why when we see these three words, they're so powerful. Verse 12, but this man. There's a few verses in the Bible where when it says, but God or but this man, you can start cheering in your heart. And even out loud if you want. You, you, you can be, if you can do it for your football team, you can do it for the Lord. But these three words, but this man, praise God, Jesus did come. Amen? 
that he is perfect, that he is flawless, that he is sinless, and the fulfillment of every type and shadow related to the Messiah and the sacrifice of God that was needed. He's all of the types and foreshadows, and he sat down. It's like a picture of rest. He's like, I've done everything that possibly needed to be done. There's nothing more to be done. I'm going to now make earth my footstool, which is what it says. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made, we're going to get that in just a second. But what the law and the sacrifices could never do, Jesus did. We're amazed at the offering of Christ on our behalf. But let's look at the text again. Let's not miss his authority. As I mentioned, from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. His authority, if you're taking notes, this second uh, overarching theme here. This is the second truth that conveys Christ's position above us and, in fact, the whole universe. Jesus not, is not just above Tim or whoever you are listening online. He's above the whole universe. All the facets of Jesus and his divinity are important. Do you agree with that? Every facet of Jesus' divinity is important. Every single one of them. His offering and his subsequent resurrection, that's what saves us. But with salvation... Christ becomes, this is a word that a lot of people need to really say, is this true in my life? Jesus is not just our Savior, but our Lord. Our Lord. The Scriptures tell us we are bought with a price. We are no longer our own. Uh, I gave up all rights to me in June of 1995 when I came to Christ. Signed, sealed, Lord, I belong to you. Now, I try and crawl off the altar every so often, just like the rest of you do. That's why we have to be daily sacrifices, representing ourselves. I already mentioned that Christ, of the order of Melchizedek, is both king and priest. And in Jesus, these are not just figurehead titles like the royal family in England or something. These are functional roles, and they display Christ's authority in our lives. Let me remind you the full name of Jesus. Take a look at it on the screen. The full name of Jesus is in your Bible in all caps in Revelation chapter 19. Take a look at it with me. And he has on his robe and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings, and what? Lord of Lords. All caps. It's a very unique passage in all of Scripture. If you don't believe me, turn in your Bible and make sure you highlight it and mark it. He's King of Kings. It, the, 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 it's on him. He's displaying that of all the kings that have ever lived, they are all under his feet. And that everyone will recognize him as Lord. As far as King of Kings, again, that goes for everyone. That goes for even those that do not believe in Jesus, nor accept his testimony of himself. But did you know that one day they too will bow before him? 
Even people that like to use his name as a swear word. Even people that say, I don't believe he was even, I don't even believe he existed. I put him up there with Santa and the Easter Bunny. After Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days ministering to his disciples and his apostles. It was their final preparation for a life of ministry. But then he ascended, and we know what took place. He did what? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Again, the priestly work was done. The sacrificial work was done. The only thing left was to, at the Father's command, come back and receive the bride, the church, unto himself. But he made this earth that, for the most part, rejects him, his footstool, until he returns to judge this same world in righteousness, at which point all those that have resisted his grace and salvation will bow in submission. We bowed earlier in prayer because we're just humbling ourselves. We know we need God's help. But those that wait to bow when Jesus comes for judgment, it will be what? Too late. It's too late at that point. Now is the time to submit to him as king of kings. Now is the time to say, Lord, my Lord. Personal. If you're born again, he's not just Lord, he's your Lord. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Christ... We've already bowed our knee before Jesus. But it's a healthy thing. It is a really healthy thing, brother and sister, to be reminded that Jesus is not only our sacrifice and our salvation, but again, I have to remind myself regularly, oh yeah, you're my Lord. You're my, what do they call him? Master, the disciples would sometimes say. Master. To remind yourself, if you're watching and you say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, okay, you will someday give an account for every second of your life. It's called the Bema Seat of Christ. We will literally stand and he will say, let's take a look at what you did with the time that I gave you, the hourglass. Remember, I say this from time to time, the sand only goes one way through the hourglass. I don't know how much sand is left in my hourglass, but every grain of sand, I can either use it for Jesus or I can... Waste it. It doesn't mean I'm not saved if I waste some of those grains of sand, but I, I want to make them all count. How about you? We need to be reminded that he's our Lord. Did we redeem time this past week, or did we squander time? What will we do tomorrow? What will we do today? Someday we're going to give an account of all of it. Are we obeying his commands or are we avoiding his commands? Jesus himself said in Luke 6:46, "But why do you call me Lord, 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 and do not the things which I say?" It's pointless to call him Lord, but then act like we're Lord. I call him Lord, but really I'm Lord. I don't even like that term Jesus is my co-pilot. I'm not co-anything. <laughs> he's, he's the driver. I'm like, wait, like when I was a kid, I'm like, I had to get stuck in the rear of the station wagon. We had the 70s, we had a big station wagon. I got stuck in the way. That's about where I belong as it relates to Jesus, or, or maybe on the roof. Are we living for Christ and his authority, 
or are we following the dictates of our own heart? If we've genuinely been converted, we'll surrender, we'll make a full surrender, and he'll help us with everything else. Amen? Uh, we're not his enemies, as it says here. We're his friends, but we also know that he is Lord, and we need to do the work he's called us, that some of those who are his enemies now would become his children and friend because of our light and witness. And in the times we're living in right now, this is so necessary, so important. Well, we need his help, so let's look at this last portion. If we, even if he is our Lord, and he is, and if he is our Savior, and he is, we need his provision and this is what I want to kind of really take a look at here in this third truth. Uh, and the related blessings that include the ongoing work of Christ in us. So as we yield to him, as we say, thank you for your offering, thank you for your sacrifice, Lord, we yield to your authority, that's when God really begins to take worthless shells like us and fill us with the work of the Holy Spirit, which is supernatural. So again, his offering, to go back and look at our outline, his offering was done outside of us, but was given to us. We have to willingly receive it. His authority is, again, above us. No matter what we think or believe, his authority is above us. If we're saved, we're fully aware that Christ is above us, we're glad he's above us, and we worship and pray to him as above us. All of those things are truths that we embrace. These closing truths remind us of the sanctifying work that happens in us because of Jesus' offering and because of his authority. He has authority over our lives, he has authority over the forces of hell, because of his offering, because of authority, he can do in us what would be impossible. In other words, to take, remember what he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He can take, do nothings like us and do something. Just as the Lord provides the oxygen you're breathing, you did not wake up this morning and produce and manufacture oxygen. You only produce and manufacture carbon dioxide. You and I have to be given the oxygen. We don't provide it. We only consume it. And so we don't provide grace. We only consume grace and feed on grace. He provides the daily spiritual supply, just like oxygen. He provides the daily spiritual supply for us to abide in him and to be conformed to his image of holiness. Now, when you understand how holy God is, you know we're going to need his help to even remotely resemble him. This past week, I was uh, um, amazed. I, I love nature. I love things in the sky. And I don't know if you noticed, but Venus was incredibly bright here in the month of April. It's the third brightest object in the sky uh, in the calendar year, the sun being one, the moon being two, Venus being number three. And, and it's just amazing to me. Venus, it, it, it was so bright this week, like a diamond. I mean, it just was shining. It even has a brightness that's different than the moon because the moon is uh, bigger and rounder, so it, it just doesn't look the same. You know when light hits something small, it's, it sends off these rays. A diamond is much smaller than you know, some other kind of light you see. And so, uh, But again, both Venus 
and the moon. They don't produce light. They just reflect it. And God wants us to reflect the light, and we are going to need the help of the Holy Spirit. Only the help of God himself is going to accomplish this in our life. And so the writer here, he lists our being sanctified. He says here in verse, six, uh, verse 14, For by one offering, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for as he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts. We didn't put it there. God put it there. And in their minds, I will write. We didn't write it. God wrote it. He then adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. We couldn't remove the remembrance of them. God has to take them away. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering. In other words, animal sacrifices are no longer needed. Blood sacrifice, no, it was done with Jesus. But notice the supernatural work, his provision and his gifts here. We have a list of, I've just listed them out so you can see them on the screen. We're perfected and sanctified. Say, well, I don't feel real perfect. We'll get to that in a second. You're not. We're, 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 we're far from perfect right now. But we're already sanctified. We'll get to what that means. We have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, as Paul writes in Romans, a man has not the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. We're actually right now reading our direction manual we have the word. It says right here, it said, he has said before, verse 15. How do we know he's talking about the word of God? Because now the writer quotes from the book of Jeremiah. So we have the written word. Even the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's imperative for me to read the word to you. Because much of the New Testament wasn't written at this point. So when the apostles or, or teachers of the New Testament would teach, they would read from the old. We read from Isaiah 53. We know Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in Jesus. The word... And the Spirit always work together. Amen? The Word reveals Christ, and the Spirit of God illuminates Christ. We also have the promises of God. They're called covenant. The covenant is conditional. We're supposed to yield to the covenant, but it's also 100% dependent on the faithfulness of God because only God could satisfy the sin-death equation in the covenant. All we can do is, our part of the covenant is to receive it. Once again, we supply the sin, he supplies the other side, which is to say, I will make a way. But not just a way of salvation, but how you can live for me in a dark and fallen world. And then lastly, we have the eternal forgiveness of God. There's no longer an offering for sin. And back to last week, uh, sanctified by an offering once for all. So these are gifts that God has given us. Whether you recognize it or not, if you're saved, you've been given each of these gifts and we have to say, Lord, thank you for them. But not just thank you. We need to use them for the Lord. It's the spirit that helps us live these things out. But I want to zero in on the word, and you see I have it highlighted on the screen. I want to zero in on the word sanctified and its meaning in the life of a believer. And sanctified is an umbrella term for our whole Christian life. Our whole life is to be sanctified. However many years you have from before Christ till the time you die, God wants to sanctify or consecrate 
your life. Remember, there's nothing good about us or in us that doesn't come from and through Christ. And that only happens when we're born again. But that initial work of salvation begins then the daily and consistent work of sanctification. Kind of a long word. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you've heard a lot of times uh, and you never even really wondered much about what it means. Uh, you, you probably remember these days in school. When you were in school and I was in school, the teacher would use a word that you didn't know what it meant, but you weren't going to do this. You'd, you'd go to your grave not knowing what it meant. I'm not going to ask the question math. I don't know what that term means. Uh, but the word sanctification, it's a theological term. But exactly what does it mean? Because it's not a word you hear every day. It's not a word you hear the world or society use. You probably will not hear anyone at your office. Well, not any of you at your office these days. But when you get back to your office. But you probably won't hear many people at work saying, yeah, I, I've had a real work of sanctification done in me lately. Probably not a word you're going to hear on TV or anything like that. Uh, J.C. Ryle said this about sanctification. Sanctification in its place and proportion is quite as important as justification. Well, if you're new to the faith or maybe you're new to the scriptures or visiting, now I have to clarify justification as well because uh, that's another word that you're probably not going to hear on a regular basis if at all, uh, in your normal life. But what does sanctification mean, and how does it work? And I'll, I'll explain both these terms. Uh, first of all, it only works in our life if we're a Christian. Sanctification is only given or done in and through the life of someone who has been saved. Salvation is the work of justification. And it always precedes sanctification. So justification is first, then comes sanctification. But the word sanctified, the word sanctified, it comes from the Latin word sanctus. Uh, so you have this Latin word sanctus, which means holy or consecrated, totally set apart. The suffix T-I-O-N, so you take sanctus and put T-I-O-N or sanctification, it means the ongoing or continual process. So sanctification is a perpetual thing. It's an ongoing thing. If you're saved, today is another new day of being sanctified. The work of sanctification will need to take place tomorrow. And on Tuesday, it's an ongoing process. It's the spiritual progress and continual conforming us to the image of Jesus. And if we're saved, positionally, we're already set apart, consecrated in the heavenlies. We're already sanctified. In other words, the full meaning of sanctification is to be made holy or perfect. We've already been made holy or perfect, even though we're currently not holy or perfect. I don't know how that works. We'll get to that in a second, too. We are, and from God's view, when he looks at Jesus, we're part of his perfection. So we're in him. We're sanctified in Christ Jesus. We're sanctified in him. 
And, and we see that back in, in verse 10, by the will of uh, been sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ. So it's in, in him um, understanding. The thief on the cross, take the thief on the cross, I've mentioned him a few times in recent weeks. Uh, he was positionally made sanctified even as he was hanging and dying. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. At that moment, he was perfected for eternity, although he still wasn't perfect, perfect right there on the cross. He still was a sinner saved by grace, but he was positionally placed into the perfected category with God. A similar concept is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It said, and he raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I have not been able to experience me sitting in heaven, but in eternity future, I'm already sitting in heaven. I'm perfected. You're perfected if you already know the Lord. Uh, if you look back at verse 10, where we see the word sanctified, by uh, that will we have been sanctified through the offering of Jesus. And if you look at verse 14, where it says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, then you have to ask the question, are we already sanctified or are we being sanctified? Yes. This is one of these mysteries of the Scripture, and it's a phenomenon we see throughout Scripture where God says, this is already complete, and yet I'm completing it in you. It's already complete, and yet I'm completing it in you. Our job is to kneel and bow before that and say, yes, Lord, do that in me. I know what's already been done, and if, but I need you to do it now daily because what God's really getting us to is a place of yielding. So positionally, we're sanctified in Jesus, but we're being sanctified daily. As John the Baptist said, we're decreasing that he might what? Increase. We're learning to decrease that he fills, he's filling up, up with more of Jesus, even though in heaven it's already a done deal. It's being played out right now in our lives. George Whitfield said this, regarding this, uh, this work. He doesn't use the word sanctification here, but it's, but it's uh, illustrative of the process. He says, the renewal of our natures is a work of great importance. It is not to be done in a day. And those of you who have been saved, while well, you know it doesn't happen in a day. We have not only a new house to build up, but an old house to pull down. And so this work of sanctification is also ringing out. I, I tell people, God rings Tim out of Tim. He rings me out of me, and then he puts more of Christ in. Even though in, in heaven it's already done, but he works this continual ongoing work of sanctification in us right now. It's a spiritual process that deepens our what? Dependence on God through the Holy Spirit and by the same means listed here, the Word of God. You can't neglect the Word of God. If you're saved, you've got to bathe in the Word of God. The promises of God, you have to believe them, claim them, repeat them to yourself. And a relationship with God by the covenant of Christ. Say, Lord, thank you for the covenant. Thank you that you're the one that holds the whole thing together. You think about sanctification this way, too. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. Do you believe that? But he literally came... And was slain. But it says before he came, he was already slain before the foundation of the earth. It, it blows my mind that God, and I think I told a couple of men this week, uh, God could have 
sent Jesus, in my mind, this is my, my small mind thinking here, God could have sent Jesus on like a five-day mission. He could have preached one amazing message, done the Lord's Supper, did the whole, thy will be done in the garden, and go to the cross, suffer for the six hours, bleed, die, and raise from the dead, and all in about five days, pull all of it off, and you would say, well, if those were the major things need to be done, why, why 33 years? And 30 of those years, we don't even know much about. Because God says, there's always a process that I don't explain to you that I'm doing. Even his own son was made to go through a process. You can better believe we'll go through a process. Does that make sense? It's a spiritual process, and God is going to take us through it. I want to take these last few minutes giving two illustrative views and the definitions. Again, if you're still online, say you still haven't fully cleared up for me sanctification, justification. I'm hoping these last two views will really clear it up. I I verbally explain, I I use some visual cues sometimes to help bring the point home, but I want to take these last few minutes to show us the definitions of these and take us in our new life in Jesus. And what he wants to do in this work of sanctification is a process that will carry all the way until you breathe your last breath or unless the rapture of the church comes. You'll continue to be in that work of sanctification. But the justification work was a once work done in us. The lifetime of sanctification is also a lifetime of this other word we like to use that's in the Scripture, discipleship. The one who's being sanctified is being discipled. Next week in our text in Hebrews, we'll look at why disciples make disciples, and that's in the next, in the next uh, part of the text. But let's take a look at this. If you're saved, this is your life and your life to come. If you're saved, this right here, this little chart, is your life distilled down into three very simplistic understandings. Uh, your salvation, that was justification. That was when we were saved from the penalty of sin. Before salvation, we're under the penalty of hell and eternity in the lake of fire. We come to the place of being justified by the blood of Jesus, just as if we've never sinned. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Then we entered into this next phase called sanctification. Now we're saved from the power of sin. Jesus said it this way to the disciples. He said, if the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. We've been set free from the power of sin. Of sin. We've been set free to live unto God. We, didn't, we no longer have to be dominated by I get even, lust, lying, stealing, pornography, all these different things, drunkenness, cursing, using Jesus' name as a swear word, all those things. We've been set free. We don't have to live that way anymore. Before, we were dominated by our own flesh. So the work of sanctification, we're set free from the power of sin. And sin has a lot of power on people, doesn't it? There's people that say, I want to stop, but I just can't. And they're telling the truth in that respect because sin has that kind of power. But they still, if they're not saved, they're still under the penalty of sin and the power of sin. When Jesus cast out a demon from someone, and they really did come to him like the demoniac there at Gadara, that man was released from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But there's another status coming for us. It's called glorification. And glorification 
is when we will be set free from the presence of sin. Won't that be great? Won't it be great when, when you get to heaven, there's no such thing as temptation. There's no such thing as anxiety. There's no such thing as worry, as depression, as anything. All you would have is 100% undiluted, perfect joy and peace. And nothing, you wouldn't even have a concept of sinning against God. It will be removed from the equation. But just as Jesus came and lived those 33, and a half, or 33 years, and he went through the process the Father had laid out, God wants us to walk through this process and to become ever more dependent in this time of sanctification. Now, one last visual representation of this, and this one uh, helps those of you that are visual learners. For now, we're in this midway point of our journey. We're in the midway. Uh, I got saved again. My justification in the green box on the bottom of the, of the uh, up and down arrow there, which is kind of life uh, it, that, that we all kind of experience. For me and my wife, we got saved on the same day, June 1995. That was our point of justification, salvation, being born again, being saved. Ever since then, I'm on year 25, coming zeroing in on 25 years in June of sanctification. And all the things that God was working on me in the 90s that I thought, okay, I'll never have to work on that again, he just keeps going deeper and deeper. And then in the 2000s, deeper. This is called growth in the spirit. This is also where he's calling us now to walk as disciples. But we live by the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and clinging to the promises. Going back to that word covenant, we cling to the promises. And we're looking forward to glorification, where we say, someday, because I can see that finish line, I can actually dig in real deep and say, Lord, with your help, I can do this. Because there'll be days, probably this week, that you want to just kind of give up. You say, I don't want to. I told people on Wednesday night, you know the time when you need to dial into our prayer, prayer nights? The time you don't feel like it. That's exactly the time you need to die. You know the time when you need to open your Bible? When you don't feel like it. You know the time when you need to uh, encourage somebody else? The time when you don't feel like it. That's the work of sanctification. Jesus did the will of the Father, not, well, I don't really feel like doing that. It's a work of sanctification. We're midway between. between and sometime in our life, the seas are calm, but sometimes the bottom drops out. And we have really difficult times. And Sanctification is a work that God takes us through suffering and difficulty. But Jesus is what? Faithful. He was faithful to save you. He's faithful to sanctify you. And he's faithful to someday glorify us as we can count on our job. Our job, if we want to have daily victory over sin and over our flesh and over this world, our job is just to believe and cling. Believe and cling. He's already written it in our hearts. Uh, say, Lord, you've written on tablets of my heart. I need to believe and cling to these things. I opened this morning with the refrain in the hymn, Jesus Paid It All. That was the refrain. But the opening stanza, it underscores our need, and the refrain underscores our confidence. I'll read it in fullness. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me 
thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I can testify my strength is small. I can testify I have a lot of weakness. I can testify that if I watch and pray, Jesus has done it all, paid it all, but he also has it all. And so this work of sanctification is literally me saying, Lord, I need to abide in you and cling to you and believe these promises and thank him for them. Thank him that he's been that offering. Amen? Thank, thank him that he's been that sacrifice, and he will never fail us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for sending your son. Lord, we don't even understand all the things you accomplished in Jesus' 33-year life, but we know in just that short span of time, and really even just the, the three years of his ministry, he fulfilled all the types, all the foreshadows. And Lord, provided not only our salvation, but the gift of the Holy Spirit for our sanctification and the promise of heaven for our glorification. And Jesus, we just once again, I, I'm, I'm praying this for myself, I pray that my brothers and sisters, that we are re-yielding ourselves to you to be consecrated, sanctified, changed, new on this Sunday, this last Sunday of April, Lord, that we will not enter the coming month not recognizing you as our Lord as well as our Savior, that you are our authority, that, Lord, we want to be transformed. And, Lord, forgive us, Lord, of yielding to our flesh instead of yielding to the work of the Spirit and the commands of you, our Lord and Savior. We just recommit ourselves afresh and anew here this morning to finish out this month. There's only a few days left in this month to finish them out reflecting you as the moon does, as the planets that your light hits, Lord, that we would reflect you in a world that, Lord, has so far primarily rejected you, that we would be those that are sanctified and set apart for your work. And we ask this in your name. Before we close and worship, I just want to ask, uh, I know this was a message primarily to save people because this letter is to the church, uh, but at the same time, I did mention the word justification. And the fact that there is a salvation starting point. I had my, uh, those of you that are saved, you have yours. But I just want to, once again, before we close in worship, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm just going to ask our, our guys in here to bow our heads and those of you at home. And I just want to appeal to you. Uh, I mentioned that there will come a day that every knee will bow before Jesus. There's a lot of things I'm not sure of. I don't know how tomorrow's going to go. I have no idea how Tuesday's going to go. I have no idea how the rest of 2020 is going to go. But I know this. I'm going to bow before Jesus someday. But I'm going to bow before him as my Savior because I've already bowed before him now. If he's not your Savior and you still continue to put it off, you'll someday bow before him too, but you will not bow before him as Savior. You'll bow before him only as the king and judge that would say, depart from me, I never knew you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It, this is not God's desire that any would see an eternity in hell. It's why he sent Jesus. It's why he shed his blood. And so if you're watching online and you say, and I've heard this a lot of times, 
but I know I need to respond. I need to say, Lord, I give up. I surrender to you. We can't, we can't cleanse ourselves. We can't take care of our own sin issue, and we certainly can't defeat death. Only Jesus has defeated death, and only Jesus can cover and cleanse our sins. So I'm going to pray this prayer, and if you have heard God speak directly to you, I promise you, if you're, if you're feeling this heartbeat, it's God is calling you by name. If you say, I don't know, I, I, you need to say no to the world, no to your own flesh, and say yes to God. Pray with me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for continually drawing me unto yourself. You said in your word, no one comes to you unless the Father has drawn him. And Lord, thank you that you've not given up on me, that you've even caused me to dial in or uh, log into this um, website today and watch this message. Lord, I've foolishly said no to you so many times, and I ask you now to forgive me of all of my sins, to cleanse me, to wash me, to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, to deliver me from the guilt and the power of sin and the surety of death. And Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I am sorry for my sins and I just ask for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. I'm deciding this day to follow you, Jesus. Please receive me now and for all eternity. In your name I pray, amen.